great to be back together tonight on Sunday evening and to sing together and to pray together and to learn from God's Word. Uh, tonight I'm bringing you the second installment of our series on parables of the Old Testament. And tonight's parable comes from 2 Kings chapter 14. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles there. We're starting every night with just a simple reading of the parable. And uh, we'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 14. And uh, the parable begins in verse 9. This is a parable told by Jehoash, king of Israel. Jehoash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon, sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted up. Be content with your glory and stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? And so we've taken that a bit out of context. We'll explain what that all means in just a moment. But uh, that's the parable. A uh, parable from the Old Testament, the parable of the thistle and the cedar. And one of the things that is very important to do when you're trying to interpret a parable is to find the points of analogy between individuals or characters represented in the parable. So let's start by doing that, introducing you to a couple of unfamiliar kings who ruled during the divided kingdom period of Israel. Uh, the first one represented by the thistle in the parable is Jehoash, king of Israel. He's also known as Joash, not to be confused with Joash, king of Judah. This can, these names get confused very easily. This is Jehoash, king of Israel. He was, as all the kings of Israel, a wicked man. He ruled for 16 years during the divided kingdom period and ruled over Israel during a fairly prosperous time. There was about a 50-year lull in the dominance of Assyria, which allowed Israel to have some successes in war. Uh, Jehoash was particularly successful at war. He was successful politically, but not spiritually. And so that's Jehoash, a fairly powerful king of Israel during this time. The king... That, and I should have said, I think I've said he represented, he's represented by the thistle. I was wrong. He was represented by the cedar. Okay, Jehoash was strong. He's repre represented by the cedar. And he's the one who tells the parable. The other king is Amaziah, king of Judah. Now, he is represented by the thistle in the parable. And he is described at the beginning of this chapter as a good king, but not as good as David because he left the idols in the high places. And of course, idolatry was always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. He also had some military successes that are mentioned in verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 14. Two in particular. First of all, he struck down 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Uh, a king of Judah before him had lost uh, the territory of Edom and he regained it, defeating the Edomites, 10,000 of them, in the Valley of Salt, which would have been the Dead Sea area. Secondly, that same verse tells us that he took Selah by storm. Selah was probably territory east of the Jordan River. 
Now, in each of these battles, although he was successful, he made some very important mistakes. And these are mentioned not here in Kings, but in 2 Chronicles 25, the parallel account. A lot of times, Chronicles will tell you God's point of view of things and often lists some spiritual problems behind the facts of history that are presented in Kings. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, both of these battles are mentioned that he was victorious in, but also some mistakes that he made. So let's take, first of all, the successful battle against the Edomites. He recruited 300,000 men of Judah to fight that battle, but then he also hired 100,000 mercenaries from the northern kingdom of Israel. He was king of Judah. He hired 100,000 men from Israel to fight with him against the Edomites. An unnamed prophet came to him and said, the Lord doesn't want you to use these men from Israel. So he sent them home with pay, but they were disgruntled because they didn't get the spoils of war that they had been expecting. So they went and they attacked a number of cities of Judah, killed about 3,000 people and took spoil. That was a flaw. The mistake was hiring these men in the first place. With regard to the battle against Selah, he made another mistake. After his victory, he included Edomite gods in his worship. And of course, these gods were false. That was one mistake. But also, it's a bit of a head-scratcher because he had just defeated Edom. So why worship gods that weren't able to protect their own nation? It didn't make, him a, it didn't make any sense. Another unnamed present... Uh, prophet um, presented himself to King Amaziah and of course rebuked him for that worship and told him that God would destroy him because of his idolatry. Now for some reason on the heels of those victories, the victories against the Edomites where he made a mistake in hiring those, those mercenaries and the victory against uh, Selah in which he worshipped Edomite gods, on the heels of those victories he set his sights on the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is the context of the parable. He sends a message to Jehoash, king of Israel. Here's what he says in verse 8. Come, let us look one another in the face. Robert Alter translates that, let us face each other down. What he's doing is he's challenging the king of Judah to battle. And in response to that, the king of Judah sends this parable of the thistle, who represents Amaziah, king of Judah, and the cedar, and a wild beast that destroys the thistle, who is representing Jehoash, king of Israel. And he says, after the parable in verse 10, your heart has lifted you up. You're not seeing things correctly. I'm warning you, Amaziah, you're no match for me. You may have won these battles against these other nations, just take pride in that. Your heart has lifted you up. You're facing a defeat. But Amaziah wouldn't listen. And Israel crushed Judah's armies in Beth Shemesh, and Jehoash captured Amaziah in a humiliating defeat. The Israelite army broke down a section of the wall of Jerusalem as wide as two football fields and looted the gold and silver out of the temple. 
Years later, verse 20 tells us that Amaziah was assassinated in a conspiracy and uh, he was brought on horses for burial in Jerusalem. Now that was a disgrace for a king. He should have been brought in in a coffin or on a litter or something like that. Michael Whitworth in his commentary on Kings said that this would be akin to uh, taking the body of President Kennedy from Dallas to Washington, D.C., in a dump truck or maybe dragged behind it. That's how much of a disgrace this was to bring the body of a king on horses to the city of Jerusalem. And so Amaziah had been blinded by pride and that was his downfall. He was defeated and while he began well, he, he died in ignominy. Now, that's the perspective of a thistle and it shows how blind pride makes us. A thistle is small compared to a cedar. It just can't see the actual world that it's in. It's like a monkey in the canopy of a rainforest or a grub on the ground or a flea on a dog's back. You just can't see things very well. I don't know if you like the far side. I like far side cartoons. And, and a lot of these far, far side comic strips, you, you have fleas on dogs' backs. And they're all jokes about perspective. I got a few of them here. Here's one. I know you can't read the caption, but there's a couple of flea gangsters hiding behind a dog hair, and there's another flea they're trying to catch behind another dog's hair. And they say, listen, before we try and take this guy, let me ask you this. You ever kill a flea before Dawkins? It ain't easy. Some people don't get farsight. Evidently, this entire audience doesn't. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, I've got two more. So uh, here's another one. Uh, there, there are these fleas hiding behind dog hairs. And this one says, Francis, I've got a feeling we're not on Toto anymore. Pretty good. And uh, here's a couple of fleas looking at a sign, kind of like you'd see at the mall. You are here. They're, they're on the dog's back near the tail there. So, you know, as a flea, you don't really understand the world. You're, you're just uh, seeing things from a very limited perspective, and that's the way the parable presents a thistle. In this forest of cedars, thinking it's on the same level as a cedar tree. It's, it's a great illustration of the blindness of pride, and it's a reminder for all of us. So I'm going to take the next few minutes to develop this idea by talking about three things that pride cannot see. And here's the first one, the proud number one, cannot see their lowly distinction. In the parable, the thistle and cedar dwelled in the same forest, and the thistle assumed wrongly that it was equal to the tall trees surrounding it. It asked the cedar for its daughter in marriage, thinking they're on equal terms. But they weren't. And it seems that only the thistle was unable to see that. That's a good illustration of what pride does to us. Nature is an ecosystem with all kinds of different specimens, some of them large, some of them predators, some of them small, all kinds of vegetation, some of them tall like the stately cedar, some of them small and fragile like the thistle. And sometimes specimens within the ecosystem get confused. You know the legend of Tarzan uh, about a boy raised among wolves, and he thinks he's a wolf until he sees human beings and he learns late in life that he's not like the, the 
animals that raised him. He's a human being. That kind of confusion happens in nature sometimes. I've heard stories about uh, you know, dogs who are raised from puppies with geese, for example, and they think they're a goose. And they don't realize that they're different because they're surrounded by uh, animals that aren't like them and, and have come to enjoy their company and, and get accustomed to them. And that kind of confusion is in this parable. You have a thistle who thinks it's a cedar, and it's not good, that kind of blindness is really bad. You ought to be able to see the difference between yourself and others, especially when it comes to God. We've got to understand our lowly distinction before God. I think it's very interesting that Jehoash uses this phrase, your heart is lifted up in verse 10. Did you notice that? I looked that phrase up. Every time it occurs in the Bible... It shows pride and the opposite of humility, which by definition, humility is the ability to see your lowly distinction in perspective to someone greater than you, especially God. Every time that phrase lifted up is used, it's somehow showing pride, the opposite of humility. Let's look at a few examples. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 and following shows self-reliance. Moses warns the people of God about what will happen when they have rest in the promised land. Take care, he says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Self-reliance. Here's another example where that phrase, lifted up, is used. Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This presents the opposite of a heart who's lifted up. So if being like a newborn child, dependent on his mother for nourishment, if that is the opposite of heart, the heart being lifted up, then when your heart's lifted up, you feel self-sufficient. You feel like you don't need a mother. You don't need someone to provide you with nourishment. Here's a third example of self-praise in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel 5, Daniel confronts Belshazzar, son of Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him, he reminds him about his father, Nebuchadnezzar, whose heart, when it was lifted up, was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory taken from him. Now, if you go back a chapter before, you see the, the incident that Daniel's referring to. And in Daniel 4, verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You see him bragging about himself. He's praising himself. That's what a heart lifted up is. Unable to see its lowly distinction. One last example in Hosea of this phrase, lifted up. Hosea 13, 4 through 6. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. 
It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. We talk a lot about the temptation of, of giving up on God during trying times. It's a greater temptation to give up on God when times are good. Because we start to rely on ourselves and be satisfied with ourselves. And this is exactly what was happening in Hosea's day. Their hearts were lifted up. Self-satisfaction, this pride, blinds you from being able to see your lowly distinction. But there is a distinction. And in humility, we should open our eyes to see it. I want to take you to another parable in the New Testament, told by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, the parable of the weeds. And in the parable of the weeds, Jesus explains that God will make that distinction clear at the end of time. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now in this parable, the kingdom is the church. The field is God's people, the church. And uh, the Son of Man is sowing the seed, which is the gospel. And it produces wheat, which are true Christians. But the enemy, representing Satan, comes and he sows weeds. And the weeds are fake Christians, false disciples. And they come up along with, they're mingled in with the good seed, the wheat. And the distinction is not plain. And when the workers worry about it, the master says, wait until harvest. Wait until judgment day. And at the harvest, the Lord will make the distinction clear. And here's the point. If you're full of pride and you can't see the distinction now, beware. God will make it clear at the end of time. Open your eyes. And the only way that you can do that is through careful self-examination. Look inwardly at your heart. Seek out your motives. Examine your actions compared to Scripture. Examine yourselves, Paul says. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. First of all, the proud cannot see their lowly distinction. Number two, this parable back in 2 Kings 14 tells us that the proud cannot see the need for instruction. Pride considers itself above instruction. The proud don't see the need to learn anything. They already know it all. Look at Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Even so, the Lord says, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, 
who stubbornly follow their own heart. They refuse to hear the word of the Lord because they think they know everything already. That's a common problem with the, with the, with the proud. They cannot see their need for instruction. There are two types of influence in our lives. There are the cedars. Now, the cedars are people who exert a positive influence on us. They're good people who appoint us in the right direction. They're wise people who teach us how to live. And then there are the thistles. And the thistles are arrogant. They're proud. They're fault-finding. They're mean. They're contemptible, hateful people. And their influence is destructive. And it's very important for you to know the difference in your life between a thistle and a cedar. Because if you don't, you're going to fall in with the wrong crowd and there's nothing, and young people, I want you to hear this, there's nothing more influential in your life than your peers. Be careful who you associate with. Be careful with the friends that you make because they're going to lead you down a path. And the path they lead you down depends on what they're made out of, what their character is like. Are they a thistle or are they a cedar? There are lots of stories about people who are in the presence of great cedars, in the presence of good, positive influences, and they can't see it because of their pride. In The Empire Strikes Back, Luke goes to Dagobah, and he's looking for Yoda, this great Jedi master, and he sees this little green thing, and it's this goofy, weird alien that's saying all these funny things. And he keeps asking him, do you know Yoda? Yes, I know him. Where is he? I'll show him to you later. And finally he realizes he's been talking to Yoda the whole time. And that's how life is a lot of times. We're looking for someone great, someone wise. And that parent or that Christian example or that teacher has been with us the whole time. And we've been taking them for granted. When we meet King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he's looking for his father's donkeys. And he's told there's a man of God who can help you. And so he comes to the city where the man of God is to reside and he sees this, this old man. And he goes to the old man and he, tells him, he asks him, tell me, where is the house of the seer? And the old man looks at him. And he says, I am the seer. He'd been talking to the very man that he was looking for all along. It's probably the reason for the warning in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It reflects back on that visit of the angels to Abraham's tent when Abraham invited them in gave them food to eat, and talked with them for a long time before realizing that he had been in the company of angels. This happened in the life of Jesus, where people were with him and never realized it, with the Son of God and didn't, didn't understand it. Philip says in John chapter 14 to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You've been with him the whole time after his resurrection. 
he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they talk on the way to a place where they sit down for a meal together. And when Jesus breaks the bread, he vanishes from their eyes. And they realize they've been with the risen Lord this whole time. And they look at one another and they say, did our hearts not burn when we were with him? They were with a stately cedar from whom they could learn much. And they didn't know it because of their pride. Don't be so proud that you take them for granted. Don't take that old Bible that you've been studying since you were a child in Bible class. Don't take it for granted. Don't take your godly mother and father for granted. Don't take that grandparent who's been going to church every week his or her entire life. Don't take that grandparent for granted. While you have them with you, learn from them. Don't take your old church for granted. Just because you've been going there your whole life, just because you're used to it, don't neglect to learn from, from it what you can learn. There's so many good influences in your life. Your life is full of wise, discerning, visional seers of God. And like that thistle, you might be looking right at a cedar and saying, we're equal. In fact, not equal. I know more than you. I can defeat you. Don't be so proud. There might be light in your life that you're not even seeing. So the proud, they can't see that positive influence in their lives. Number three, and finally... This parable from 2 Kings 14 teaches us that the proud cannot see the end of their tragic course. Now in verse 10, Jehoash tries to warn Amaziah in the parable that the thistle would get trampled down. And plainly he says this, Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But sadly, Amaziah was too proud to listen. And a rain that began well ended in humiliation. It reminds us of a proverb of, of Solomon. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. It reminds us of what Jesus said of the proud Pharisees and how he described them as blind, the blind leading the blind. And he said, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But they don't see it until it's too late. The proud can't see the end of their tragic course. And here's the irony. They're headed for destruction. They deny it in their pride. But all the while, they're anxious and tied up in knots. They don't admit they're going to destruction. They may not even see it, but something inside them betrays them. And they know that they're headed for an awful end because they're so anxious. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. God says to anxious Israel that their problem is pride. He says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who dies, the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker? Basically, he's asking, who do you think you are to be afraid? 
And we usually don't treat anxiety that way. We usually don't treat fear that way. And sometimes anxiety and fear calls for a great deal of sympathy. But sometimes people are dealing with it because they're full of pride. And when pride, pride is the problem, it's very appropriate to ask, who do you think you are to be afraid of a man when God is watching out for you? If God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? And Peter was even plainer on this point. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, we always go straight to verse 7, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. But if you go back to verse 6, here's where Peter begins that thought about casting your anxieties on God. He says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So the casting of your anxieties on God is an explanation of how you humble yourself before His mighty hand. We usually don't think about that. We often say, well, somebody dealing with fear is, is humble. And the Bible is challenging us and saying, you may be afraid, you may be troubled, because you're too proud to trust that God can take care of your life. That's not always the case. That's why you, you have to do some self-examination. Ask yourself, am I troubled inside because... My pride is leading me to destruction, and, and I'm just not seeing that tragic end I'm headed for. My instincts, my conscience, everything inside of me is screaming at me to wake up and pay attention, and I, I'm just blinded by my pride. You, you need to examine yourself in prayer and ask yourself, is this my problem? It was Amaziah's problem. And he couldn't be deterred, even with the clever parable told by Jehoash and the plain words, your heart has lifted you up, it will lead to certain destruction. We ask, why would a thistle go to war with a cedar? But we war with God all the time. When we refuse to obey His commands, when we refuse to trust in Jesus, we war with God all the time. We set ourselves on an equal plane with Him. We think we know better. In a world where we stumble about blindly, not knowing where we came from, why we're here, where we're going, are we going to argue that we have no need from a revelation from God? And when that revelation tells us that we're in the wrong, that we need to make some corrections in our life, are we going to argue with it? When that revelation tells us that Jesus is our Savior, and if we trust and obey Him, God will rescue us from our sins and redeem us so that we can live with Him eternally. Are we too proud to believe that? Are we going to argue with that? We might be a thistle in a forest of cedars. And so ask yourself, am I puffed up with pride? Has my heart been lifted up? Is that where all this trouble is coming from? Do I need to humble myself tonight? so that my eyes will be open to God's will. If you need some help with that, we're going to sing an invitation song. We ask you to come tonight, right now, as we stand together and as we sing.